It's so frustrating to put the time, energy, and oftentimes money into solving a problem only to face the same problem a few days, weeks, or months from now as if we'd never solved the problem at all. How can we keep this frustrating but common problem from happening to us again? Stay tuned and I'll tell you all about it. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So it could be a sales process, a safety concern. Maybe we're consistently making a mistake on a key process, which is leading to customer frustrations or letting customers down or missing deadlines. Maybe we're having too many warranty or service-related problems. It doesn't matter. What matters is this time the problem gets solved for good. You've had plenty of instances where you thought a problem was solved only to find yourself dealing with the consequences of the problem you solved or thought you solved many months ago again and again and again. Talk about you feeling like you're you're spinning your wheels. This is one of those things that we we can can lead to us feeling like we're never making progress. I just feel fighting the same problem over and putting out the same fire over and over again. I'm I'm dealing with the same problem over and over and over again. Why can't we just get this figured out for good? How many times have you thought that? How about all the anxiety and resentment that comes along from having to solve the same problem you solved just a while ago? This can really begin to have an impact on the team our relationship with the team, the team's relationship with us, the team's relationship with each other, managers and supervisors and their and their subordinates and different departments like holy smokes the frustration that comes from this and the and um, just the waste, the wasted time, the wasted energy, the wasted money. And credibility, we lose our credibility with customers and each other and then of course sleep. The number of hours we have lost sleep wondering, why can't we just figure this stuff out the first time? I don't get it. How do we solve a problem for good? How can we do our part to make sure we don't wind up in the same spot again later? Well, I'm going to tell you about what I've done and what's worked for the people I work with. And it's a, it's a list of about 10 things we'll go through. And, uh, you know, the first thing I want to do is just figure out for myself because this is so frustrating, it's so debilitating for the team and morale, and again, all the waste, the waste of time, the waste of money, the waste of energy, the waste of credibility, the waste of whatever. I just want to set myself up, self up for um, success and heading down a path that's going to be a permanent fix before we even get started. And some of these questions I'm going to ask here will kind of um, suss out um, common reasons we don't we don't see things through. They become less of a priority as things as time goes on. We solve a problem, we take our eye off the ball, and there's tons of assumptions made. <laughs> I think my manager's doing it. They think their their supervisor's doing it. The supervisor thinks I'm doing it. The employees don't know who's doing it. So we want to get out in front of all those kinds of things as much as we can. So uh, that's kind of what the point of these 10 questions are. 
this is not an all-inclusive list. I'm sure there's other questions that could be asked. Uh, These are not in any particular order. These are just questions that I have used um, myself and I've used with people I work with to kind of figure out, are we, are we dealing with the right thing? Are we solving the right part of the problem? Are we really going to see this through? Like if we're not going to see this through, let's just figure that out now and, and, and not spend the time and energy to, to pretend like we are. Cause some things we're going to find, yeah, they're kind of an annoyance or a pet peeve of ours maybe, but they're not a big enough problem that we're going to really invest long-term into solving. So the very first question, and again, these are not in any particular order. Um, it's not like you have to, you have to answer one to get to the next. It's not like that. The very first question though, is why do we want to improve this process? So again, in my lingo, a process is anything we do, but pretty much riding a bicycle is a process. Falling downstairs is a process. You know, heating SpaghettiOs and eating them is a process. A procedure is a documented step-by-step thing that identifies who, what, when, where, why, and how. That's a procedure. A process is kind of anything we do that is one step leading to another. Again, falling down the stairs is a process. Not an enjoyable one, but it is one. So first question is, why do we want to improve this process? That doesn't mean this has to be documented. It doesn't mean we have to document as a procedure at all. It just means this is something we routinely do. Why do we want to improve it? Kind of 1A of that is, is my leadership on, tor- on board with improving this process? And if not, why not? Like what, what, and this would be a place where I'd kind of go through the five whys, which I think I went through on episode 53 or 56 or something like that. So if you're not sure what the five whys is, um, the episode title was something like, you know, are you dealing with the root cause of your problem? So if you're not sure what five whys is, might want to go back and listen to that and then just make a little more sense to you. But it's the leadership team's not on board with improving this process other than you just demanding it. Like, objectively, honestly, are they on board with this? Or are they just going through the motions? That's something I want to figure out. This is all kind of question one. So there's like multiple questions in question one here. But um, the next thing is, what's it costing to have this ineffective or inefficient uh, process? Is it costing money, time, which often equals money? Is it causing confusion, frustration? Who's, you know, who uh, will improving this process benefit? Is this going to help the company? Is it going to help the business owner with less stress, less oversight, less time fixing things? Is it going to help the employees? Is it going to help the customers? You know, with employees, it could be retention, recruitment, productivity, confidence. With customers, it could be quality, consistently, uh, consistency, predictability, trust, ease of interaction. Like, so the point of all this is, why are we doing this? Whose life are we making easier? That's really kind of the crux of this is why are we doing this? Who is going to get the benefit from this? And if we don't know that, then this is one of those areas where if we don't know who's really getting the benefit from it, it's easy for this just to fall off over time. It's easy for it to lose our attention over time because if we don't even know who's getting the benefit and what that benefit is, why continue? Like why have um, any kind of reminder you stick with to, to stay on top of this if you're the manager or supervisor or the business owner or the employee, if you can't even identify What's the, what are we trying to accomplish? Why does it matter? Is our reason for this compelling is the question number one. Question two, again, this is going to go back to the five whys. So if you haven't listened to that episode, again, I wish I would have wrote it down episode 53 or 56. I can't remember which, but um, go check that out. Number two question is, are we improving the correct part of the process? And this is where going through that, that root cause uh, determination, analysis, whatever you want to call it. Um, by the way, I found a fantastic example of the five whys. If you just Google five why Washington monument, 
There's a short article in there. You can read it in like three minutes, but it's awesome. Way better explaining than, than I could be. Uh, it really goes through what the five whys can do for you and, and how it can lead you down the right path. So oftentimes when we start fixing symptoms, but not the real problem, we fix symptoms and the real problem remains. And then we kind of give up on the fix at all because we're not, we don't see any noticeable difference. The symptoms went away, but we have new symptoms now because we didn't really solve the problem. So question two is, are we improving the correct part of the process? Question three, can we articulate the goal for improving this process? So what I mean by that is, can we explain to folks, like, what does success look like? What is, what is the goal here? Can we explain to our team in terms that are easily understood? So again, what we generally tend to do is we'll say things like we need fewer warranty calls or more revenue. It's always more sales. Like we sales, more sales is the ultimate band-aid. You can hide so many problems with more sales. So the answer is almost always we just need more sales. <laughs> so those are not goals, though. I would I would not consider those goals. Those are, you know, wishes. And I as I say, uh, wishes and hopes are not not um um strategies, you know. So what is the goal though? We want to increase sales by 40%. Do we want to, you know, reduce warranties by something, you know, some kind of um, way to, to kind of hone that in, like just more revenue all the time. It just has no meaning anymore. Less warranty work. That just has no meaning anymore. So we can explain to our team in terms that are easily understood. Is our vision or is our version or vision of success reasonable? Like just because I want 97% close rate in sales doesn't mean that that's like reasonable. And if you're hitting 97% on sales then raise your prices, <laughs> but this is a, again, question three has multiple facets to it. Also, is it, is it reasonable what we're asking for? And if we have to, if we're really objective and honest about that, we might find ourselves having high expectations that are completely unreasonable. And then once we identify that, we can kind of go, okay, this is why I'm always annoyed by this because they're not, my, my wishes are not reasonable here. Um, is our version of success one we can reasonably hope to attain buy-in from our team? You might think it's reasonable. Well, they think it's reasonable. And if they're the ones doing it, that matters at least as much as if you think it's reasonable. Question four, are relevant KPIs in place which are easily measurable and publishable? If not, can a reasonable amount of effort identify and produce measurable KPIs? So again, my, my favorite uh, analogy for most process-related stuff is weight loss because A, I identify with it pretty, pretty well. It's something almost all of us can relate to, and it's just kind of a common sense thing. So if you can't say, I want to achieve X pounds in weight loss, or I want my goal weight to be whatever, or I'm going to use different KPIs to measure um, uh, the, the actions I'm doing, like am I going to reduce calories? Am I going to increase activity? Am I going to reduce carbs? Am I going to, like, what are the KPIs? How are we going to measure things? If those are not in place, we just have to acknowledge and accept without KPIs, our, our likelihood of success diminishes significantly. It's a fancy way of saying if you don't have KPIs, it's not going to happen. At least not as often. It's not as often as you want. And when there's no KPIs and there's no feeling of making progress, our people get frustrated and they just kind of give up. So they get frustrated because we're harping on it and they don't really know if they're making any progress or they give up because we're not harping on it and it's just not a thing we talk about anymore because if we're not talking about the problem and we're not talking about KPIs, we're not talking about it at all pretty much anymore. So KPIs are really important if we want to have sustained progress or sustained improvement. So if we want to go from, 
you know, 3% warranty work to 1% warranty work, and we have KPIs in place, we can maintain that 1% warranty work or whatever your number is. Those are completely made up numbers. But if you, my point is, if you, if you have KPIs you're going to measure, you can have a reasonable hope of long-term maintaining that goal. Without KPIs, you just have to acknowledge and accept that that's the likelihood is going to go down. It's just not going to happen as much. You cannot hold people accountable for having a feeling. I feel like we're doing pretty good at this. I don't feel like we're doing very good on warranty work. And I feel like we're doing pretty good on sales. Like you can't hold people accountable to those things. And as we talked about before, you can't hold people accountable to make better spaghetti sauce. Like what, what are the things that make better spaghetti sauce? You can't just say, I want better spaghetti sauce and not identify what those things are and have expectations it gets done. KPIs help us uh, make sure we do that. Will publishing the KPIs create any issues we need to get out in front of? So you might have uh, something you need to measure that would be embarrassing for your team, especially if people who are, who are not achieving it or whatever. Those are things to consider. How do you want to publish them? I'm a fan of publishing any kind of thing that we want um, natural improvement on. Again, my goal is to get people to want to do the right thing, not have me force them to do the right thing. So oftentimes publishing KPIs in a public space, meaning public for the employees, not necessarily public for your customers, although it may be public for customers also. Those things just naturally get better. If, if we see our performance, we just naturally get better. If you posted something above your refrigerator every day that's how many calories you'd eaten so far that day, I guarantee you'd eat less calories. That's just how we operate. Question five, what is our starting place or current performance level? This is one of the areas where we, we most likely drop the ball. I've seen this in every part of my career from when I worked, when I was a, a you know, I had a, a very small role in a giant company to having a big role in a small company. This is where we oftentimes dropped, one of the areas we oftentimes dropped the ball. We say we want to get better and we'll start measuring it when we get close, but we're not going to measure our starting point. Again, using the weight loss example, imagine saying you wanted to get down to 180 pounds and you weighed roughly 200 pounds and you want to get to 180, but you're not going to start weighing yourself to get to around 185. You think like, just how would that work? Like you, you'll know when you're, when it's time to start measuring it, which means you're never going to start measuring it, which means you're never really going to meet the goal. So starting to measure our performance now and knowing what we're aiming for gives us the starting points to, from which to measure progress, which is critical. If we want our team to buy in, it's critical. If you want them to have a sense of success as they doing this thing, if we're going to expect them to do this thing without any kind of sense of success, like good luck with that. I don't know how you would do that. Uh, if we're not willing to do this um, when we begin, then we're also kind of demonstrating we're just kind of putting that responsibility on somebody else. Like, I'm not going to do my part to, to see where we're at. I'm just going to let you know when I think we're there. That's, I don't know how that, I don't know how to, I don't personally know how to convey that message in a way that would be effective. I don't know how to to phrase that to instill that belief. If I want improvement, I have to be willing to, to invest in the tools I know work. I know what works is measuring where we're at now, identifying where we want to go, and measuring the progress or regression if we don't make progress. Question six. This is another big one. Uh, I want to keep saying that. There, I think these are all big ones. That's why there's only 10. So I'll, I'll quit saying that I think this is a big one. The last one, though, question five, what's our starting point? That is a very common place. People completely omit that and then have frustration. Question six, who's going to have ownership of improving this process? Who will oversee making sure the tasks involved with making the improvements are done and reported back to me or the team? If this is a team effort. Who's in charge of the improvement? 
who will determine the frequency in which progress reports and updates will be communicated to the to me or the team or or you know as the plans put in place how is that communicated to the employees doing the work versus the team who's making the improvement if you have like a leadership team making an improvement on a project who's in charge of that how often is that going that stuff going to be communicated what's going to happen if the ball's dropped you know if you've listened to me for any length of time you know that's always kind of where i end up is how are we going to get there who's doing it what do i do if we don't if we just drop the ball like what am i supposed to do then i want to get out in front of that stuff as fast as possible so who is going to have ownership over improving this process if we don't articulate that and it's a group of people if there's going to be a ton of assumption based on rank and seniority and ability and experience and if it's not discussed and agreed upon it's pretty likely that people are going to have um, incorrect assumption as to who's supposed to be in charge of things. The person you would like to be in charge might assume somebody else is supposed to be because they have more experience. And you're like, well, you have the title though. Like you have the rank, like this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, and, or conversely, you might say you have the experience. I don't care about their rank. I don't care about their title. I want the person with the experience figuring this out. If you don't articulate that, how would they know? And there will be tons of, of assumptions and that will lead to tons of disappointment. Uh, next thing is uh, kind of 6A, but question seven, who's going to have ownership of this process after it's been improved? So we make the improvement, we identify what works, we put those measures in place, we have we identify objectives, we put KPIs in place, we do it. Who's going to own it then? And again, if we don't identify that, we have assumptions. If it's just me and a manager, they may assume I'm going to do it because I was you know, upset about, not, about, about this to bring it up. I want to assume that they're going to do it because like I hired you to do this. Like what, this is what you're here for. Right. And meanwhile, neither one of us pay attention to it and we move on. And, and then we're frustrated six months later, we we're fight, fighting the same problem again. And now we have a little bit of resentment towards each other because we both have made assumptions and we kind of dig our heels in on why we were right. You know, and that's kind of how it goes. I'm not saying that's the right way, but I am just saying that that is kind of how this stuff goes. So who's going to have, have ownership of this after it's been improved is something I want to figure out right out of the gate before we even get started. We make improvements. Who am I going to hand this off to? Right? Uh, what specifically would their responsibilities be? Some other questions I would ask along with that. Do they have the right amount of authority to take ownership of this? So are we placing the ownership in the right spot in that? Are we giving it to somebody who the team would recognize having the right responsibility and authority to really manage this? Are we asking somebody who doesn't have the right authority to do something that's kind of unreasonable because the team's not going to respect them because they don't have the right authority? Uh, I've seen that fail as well. Uh, if more adjustments need to be made to the process, who's in charge of that? Like, who's going to make the call? Is the person in charge of that? They have autonomy just to make decisions on their own, or they have to run that by me? They have to run it by the team if this is a team effort. These are all things that got to be sorted out front, because if we don't sort them out front, it's not going to happen the way we want it to, for sure. Question eight, who needs to be involved with improving in this process? Who are the key players? Who is doing the work? Who's supervising the work? What other departments need to be involved? Do we need to get the, a, the, a customer to help us make the improvement? Is there a customer who's affected or whose um, industry is affected or somebody we could trust who would give us the customer's point of view so we can make sure we're addressing their needs as much as we need to? Customers are happy to help with this kind of stuff in many cases. Uh, you may not be in a situation where you have that, but uh, if, you, if you have a, a, something you want to improve and you would like the customer's perspective, like let's just, let's just ask them. What are they going to do? Say no? Okay. Uh, but we want to make sure we have people at least doing the work, managing the team, doing the work, that kind of stuff. We want to make sure we have all the components in place. 
often what I see, this is kind of where the seagull management is. You know, you come in, crap all over everything, leave. We don't want to invest in having the right people in the problem-solving process. So we come in, lay down a bunch of directives and get out of there. And then like it, we just cause chaos. It's kind of where that, that whole um, concept comes from, in my opinion. Uh, question nine, what is a reasonable amount of money and time to spend improving this process? I could spend five hours on this topic here. This is, again, one of the areas I think people most often uh, drop the ball. And I'm going to get into this topic, this question nine, specifically, maybe with the other one that people most often forget. But, as, you know, if we have a, a problem that's costing us $100,000 a year, and you've got it in your mind. First of all, we don't identify what that 100000 is. We just say we have too, many, too much warranty work. Well, how much, how much should we spend to fix it? How much time should we spend in meetings or improvement process or in... Uh, purchasing of aids or quality improvement things or developing KPIs. Like how much do we spend on that? $400. <laughs> that's the limit. We can't spend more than $40 to solve a hundred thousand dollar year problem. That's ridiculous. And, and I see that uh, pretty often. So if we don't know what's costing us, we can't identify what a good spend is to fix it. That's why I'm always a big fan of like identify what is this costing us? Which time, which equals dollars, dollars in warranty work, dollars in rework, dollars in lost sales, lost opportunities, whatever. Once we know that, then we can gain a, a decent understanding of like, what's a good spend to fix this? If it's a $100,000 problem, I got no problem spending ten grand to fix it. If I don't identify it's a $100,000 problem, I'm always going to kind of lean towards, well, I don't want to spend that kind of money. Nah, it's too much time and all that kind of stuff. So that's question nine. What's a reasonable amount of time and money to spend fixing this and improving this process? Question 10, last one. How are we going to keep our team engaged and motivated? So two things here. What are we going to do? To keep spirits high, if we don't find success in this as, well, as fast as we'd like or as well as we'd like, the flip side is, what are we going to do to celebrate if we do find those results that we want? Almost always, both those questions are not answered. And then we just kind of roll it into, well, that's just what we pay them for. We expect them to do this kind of stuff. I get that. That's true. However, again, if you have a $100,000 a year problem and you're a $2 million company, or a $3 million company, that's, uh, that's significant. I would say let's, uh, let's do a little bit extra to keep the team motivated on the right track if we fall short. And also to recognize them, if they, if they, if they can save us hundred grand in that size of company, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's something worthy of noticing. So um, real quick, if you're one of the hundreds or thousands of employers who's still struggling to find help uh, with employees, go to freehiringwebinar.com. That page is still up. I reworked the website, but that page is still up. On that free webinar, uh, which you can watch anytime, you'll learn the specific strategies I've taught business owners to go from not being able to hire at all to turning off their ads completely in just a few weeks. So freehiringwebinar.com, go check that out. Um, but as far as our, our 10 questions, I'm not going to go through the whole thing again because we're short on time here. The main thing is I want to prepare for success before we even get started. So the first thing I want to do is make sure we're heading down a path that's going to be a permanent fix that's going to lead to that permanent fix before we even get started. This is one of the ways I do that. This is the ways I help, I've helped the people I work with do that is answering these kinds of questions before we get started. If we, if we don't have answers, it, oftentimes we go through this. Well, if you listen to this again and, and start like thinking about a problem you have specifically and answering those questions, you're going to have a couple light bulb aha kind of moments that are going to um, alter the way you would handle this and make it a more permanent fix. So that is uh, it for this week. Uh, don't forget, if you're still having a hard time hiring, go to freehiringwebinar.com, get that free training. And, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> if you know a friend or colleague who's a business owner and you, and, uh, you know, they're having a personal issue, 
uh, a procedural problem or they wish they had a, a resource to help them address specific issues we face in service industries, take a second, send them a text message, let them know about uh, this podcast, or they can find my stuff at serviceindustriesuccess.com. So sorry about that. Sorry about the ending here. I'm <laughs> choking a little bit. Um, while I'm choking, give us a rating or review if you would, if you can spare a couple minutes. I really appreciate that. So that's it for this week, and I'll see you all next week.